0: you're tuning in to the tv campfire with caitlin mcfarland and emily gibson co-founders and co-executive directors of atx television festival aka
1: tv camp for grown-ups this episode is part of our series of special releases recorded live at atx season seven to hear our original the tv campfire series please scroll down to episodes one through five Welcome back to the TV Campfire. This
0: week, we're bringing you another topical conversation, this time presented with Hollywood Health and Society
1: as part of the Syndication Project track at ATX Season 7. In case you're just joining us, the Syndication Project is ATX's official foundation that focuses on advocacy and awareness through storytelling, which often means partnering with incredible organizations like this one, who provide the industry with resources and research across a wide array of topics.
0: And the fact that Hollywood Health and Society is part of the Norman Lear Center is even more appropriate for this conversation because, fun fact, Emily, I think it's fun, that in the title, TV's Abortion Dilemma, it's actually referencing back to the 1972 episode of Mod that Norman created called Mod's Dilemma that brought the
1: issue of abortion into TV viewers' living rooms for the very first time. You know, not a lot of people could have done that, especially in 1972. But it is Norman Lear. He's pretty much capable of anything. Also, another fun fact, he's an ATX awardee. He's the
0: best. Uh, Almost 50 years later, networks and studios, for some reason, are still struggling with how to depict these stories about reproductive health,
1: choice, and most specifically abortion. So we wanted to discuss why that is. Why is it still so hard for shows to tackle these storylines in an honest way or even have the discussion regardless of the outcome? We had some really grand
0: plans for this uh, panel. People were very excited to speak on it. There's a lot of shows tackling it right now. But in the end, we had two lone soldiers in the best way possible uh, Mauricio Moto, the executive producer of East Islos High, and Rena Mamoon, executive producer of Everwood, along with many, many other things. She is amazing. Um, and they were more than ready to dig into that discussion. And you'll hear why they're feeling so strongly about keeping this in the mainstream.
2: Thank
3: <laughs> you. Thank you. We were having a conversation back there, and I forgot to listen. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Kate Fold. I'm director of Hollywood Health and Society, which is part of the USC Annenberg Norman Lear Center. Uh, Hollywood Health and Society Project is a nonprofit, and we provide information and access to experts to the television and film industry uh, to help ensure that your storylines are accurate and timely. Uh, we don't promote anything other than accuracy so we're not advocating a point of view we're just here to help you and it's free so if you're writing a storyline on anything to do with medicine health science uh Safety, security, national policy, just about anything. You can call us or email us. We have operators standing by to take your calls, and we can help you do some of the research that you need for your shows. So um, that's all I'm going to do commercial-wise because we have a great uh, panel here, and I don't quite know where everybody wants to sit. But let me introduce Mauricio Mota <laughs> and Rina <laughs> Mimoun. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Where do you want to sit? <laughs> Rena, <Sorry. laughs> come. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm gonna take like, it. why don't you guys? But if I sit over here, I feel like I'm really far away. But this maybe is okay. Here.
4: Well, that was great. Like, my body oh, hair choice my, and the guy comes I'm, first.
3: Okay. Yeah. And
4: it, yes. it, says,
3: it says I'm supposed to sit here. So, I, okay. All right. Anyway. Hi. <laughs> um, before we get. To talking uh, specifically about uh, your work and the topic, I just wanted to give some information about how abortion is depicted on TV today. Um, Dr. Gretchen Sisson, who is from the University of San Francisco and is a scholar on, particularly on abortion on screen, and she's studied all depictions of abortion in TV and film since the beginning of film in like 1913. So her, her research is really comprehensive and really interesting. And I thought I'd share some of the findings or comparisons between, uh, fictional characters and abortion and what really goes on in real life with regard to abortion. So this is for abortion on TV. The reasons women get abortions on TV, uh, The 47% is it interferes with their future plans, so they're a professional or something and they don't want to have, or they're not mature enough, so that's the teenager that's getting the abortion on whatever show, Um, or the pregnancy is a result of a rape. Okay, those are the top three. Uh, Some of the others are they never want kids or they're not financially prepared, but the real reasons that women get abortions in real life are they're not financially prepared is the number one reason. It's not the right time. Partner related reasons um, need to focus on their other kids. So most women who get abortions today have families already. They're not the the teenager. They're they're married women with children or women with partners and children. Um, So it's very different from how it's depicted. Um, Also, uh, on TV, women getting abortions are whiter, younger, and wealthier than they
2: are in real life. That is on all TV. We're whiter, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> wealthier, we're, we're more attractive on television. Yeah, that's true. Skinnier. So, yeah, true. yeah, yeah skinnier. right, right, right.
3: Um, so most women that get abortions on TV are white. In reality, most are of color. And there are two times as many teens getting abortions on TV than in real life. So this is just all kind of about one in four women. This is in reality. About one in four women has an abortion before the age of 45 in the U.S., so, this is a very common procedure. This is not necessarily an angst written melodramatic experience for many, many women. Um, and one in four, so we could go around the room, and there's a few guys here, but anyway, um, so um, and then I'll just a couple more, and then we're going to get to you guys. Um, on screen, only about fifteen percent of women getting an abortion already have kids. Where in reality, 61% of women that get an abortion are parenting already. So that's a huge difference. And I'll get to Maude, as we were talking about that when I wasn't paying attention out here. Um, Real-life complications from abortion are about 2%. Like 2% of abortions may result in some kind of complication. And mostly those complications are like intense cramping. Um, where on TV, you're 7,000 times greater uh, likelihood of dying from an abortion or having serious complications than in real life. So if you want to get an abortion, don't get it on TV. (laughs) It's like you're in big trouble. (laughs) And this is, you know, 9% of fictional women die directly as a result of the abortion. Uh, the real risk of dying from an abortion is zero. There is no risk. Fourteen percent of stories about abortion end with the woman dying, um, not necessarily from the abortion, but she'll get murdered or she commits suicide or some other kind of, you know, fictional punishment uh, is um, associated with it. So that's just some interesting sort of, you know, uh, comparisons about how TV which I I have made my career working with um, but can get it really wrong when it comes to abortion. I mean, we've done so many great things in terms of medicine, depictions of medicine, and other kinds of reproductive health seem to be depicted pretty accurately, but we're still missing, um, and I could say a few things about pregnancy and delivery, but that's another panel, Um, but abortion, we still have a ways to go. So I'm going to turn to Rena Um, Everwood. Yes, So, uh, amazing show. Fabulous. My first TV abortion.
2: There you go. And you didn't die. <laughs> she didn't die. She became a really famous movie star, actually, Kate Mara. She did quite well for herself. <laughs> but, well, yeah. there you go. See? Run out, ladies. Anybody who hasn't. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, um, you know, I think we, it's funny, the last time I talked about, well, we spoke about this uh, at another panel, but, Last time I was in Austin was with the ATX Festival was for Everwood. And we did sort of touch upon that time briefly when we did that panel because it was it was just an extraordinary experience sort of going through the process of trying to get that episode on the air. And it was, it was really a process of, first, they didn't want us to tell the story at all. And it was Greg saying, well, we'll just write the script. And then we wrote the script. And they said, OK, this, the script's fine, but um, we're not going to shoot it and then it got to okay we'll shoot it but we can't promise that it's going to air and then oddly enough it was it broke the it it kind of broke everwood a little bit in a good way because it it allowed people to sort of know about it for the first time once it was aired and it it did sort of have con- controversial elements to it but it also was unlike what we were talking about before it was a very even-handed exploration And sort of allowed everyone to kind of get their feelings out and talk both sides because in that show, those characters, it was part of like Dr. Abbott was the one who wound up having to perform the abortion because that was the only rule um, was that they couldn't let the lead character do it which was the initial pitch that it was supposed to be Dr. Brown, and they said no. Um, But they inadvertently made the story much more interesting because then Dr. Abbott, who had true religious objections, which allowed us to explore that side of it, and actually the episode ended on him in church saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, But he performed his duty as a doctor, and it was, I think, one of the best episodes we ever did. And was that...
3: Did you write it that way or did the network say you've got to have him go in and ask for forgiveness or anything? The
2: network didn't ask for that. But again, it was like we felt that that was truthful to the character. And so I'm all for having the, discuss- if, the if it's If that is what the character would go through, then by all means, you should talk about it. And he was this person who was conflicted over doing it. And he did it for his own personal reason, because it was a promise that he made to his father And taking over the practice. like All of it was very character-based. So w- we didn't mind doing that at all. And it was interesting, though. It threw us for a loop when they said it can't be Dr. Brown. Because, of course, you're always trying to write the, the best stories, especially in season one, for your lead. So you were kind of like, oh, a Treat's going to be pissed. But then it got. <laughs> it all worked out. Was he? <laughs> no, no, no. He, I, but I, he didn't. God knew. If he knew what had gone on in the writer's room, maybe he would have been. But no, he did. Everyone was happy. Well, and just, so you mentioned the writer's
3: room. So how was it? I mean, who pitched it? Who pitched that episode and that storyline? And what was the. Conversation in the writers' room and how many women were there besides you?
2: There you know what? There were a lot of women in that writer's room. Okay. Um it was and the the truth is I and I I feel like Greg has talked about this, so I don't think I'm saying anything out of school. The original concept for the show was that Dr. Brown moves to a small town and he's an abortionist. And like that was the original pitch for Everwood. And the WB was like, (laughs) (laughs) What year was this? Uh it was two. 2000? Yeah, around 2000, No, 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 2001, 2001, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. The title was The Abortionist. I <laughs> know, yeah, yeah,
2: right? It would be now, <laughs> yeah. it would be now, and then he'd be killed at the, you know, in the... But, um, so, that was, so, it was 100% Greg's determination to talk about this subject matter. And then we were blessed enough to have Vanessa Taylor in the writer's room at that time, who's now gone on to be, you know, Oscar nominated screenwriter and she's brilliant. Um, and she was in the room and I was in the room and we had another woman, Joan Binder. I mean, we had, and we actually had like a good, we were all way younger (laughs) than we should have been to sort of be tackling this subject matter. We had one woman in the room who was a mother. and i actually think there was one person in the room who was i think probably not pro choice in his heart um which was interesting um but it was it was a good room it was a well balanced room we were psyched <laughs> so so was there any sort of objection like no we can't
3: do this or you know. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, it really was. it was, And this is where I think it's why Greg Berlanti has become the Uber producer that he has. It's like, when he wants something, he just kind of like, even then, it was like, well, I'll just poke you. I'll just scratch at it. You know, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. And it, it when it aired, like I said, it was the first thing we didn't... When we aired, we aired to like, premiered to modest ratings and the reviews were very mixed. And ironically... There was a lot of backlash against the show that it was p- portraying itself to be a wholesome family show, but in fact it was salacious and dealing with issues of gunnery of the throat. I mean, and that was the whole point of the show. But um, so it. W- but there we also got a lot of slack for having uh, a little earnestness too much. We just it wasn't p- perfectly reviewed, and this episode but put a lot of reviews back in the papers, the papers, you know, because <laughs> it was then, pre-Twitter. It was papers, <laughs> 2001. It was, there were newspapers and magazines. Um, and people talked about the show again for the first time as saying, Oh wait, it actually, you should, we, maybe we all should give this show a second look and second season, our ratings. And this was, it was episode 20. That was the other thing I remember about it. The title was episode 20. Um, cause we couldn't, title it Couldn't say the abortion episode yeah it, it's like <laughs> i think we didn't know what to call it so we called it episode 20 and so it was one, at the end of our second season our ratings kicked up
3: right
4: on that's great
3: yeah
2: so mauricio tell
3: us i mean yeah. East Los high yeah tell me about the mission when you guys set out to write East Los high and create it like what was your purpose because it was a little different than just hey let's entertain people
4: Yeah, I think that, uh, and again, kudos to Katie, Carlos, and Kathleen, the creative masterminds behind Islos High. Um, I think that uh, everything that we do at Wise, but Islos High became the proof of concept that for us, every stuff, every show, every movie that we do needs to live into the intersection of entertainment, social impact, and what we call civic imagination, right? It's about... Imagine different worlds, imagine different possibilities, imagine different ways that we, as human beings and, and citizens, can do different stuff. And Katie, uh, when Katie had the, the, the idea of doing a show for young Latinos, and she's obsessed, in a good way, with research, one of the, da- one of the sets of data was that young Latinos at age 20, uh, 53% of them were pregnant or already had a child at age 20 and it's baffling if you stop it it's just ridiculous right and that was one of the things that was part of the inception of this and
3: this was latinas in the u.s
4: latinas in the u.s and um and then they were like well there's something here and then that became sort of one of the main pillars of like wow let's talk to this super underserved neglected audience but let's also." Go deep into their lives. So let's create this high school drama in a fictional high school in East LA, also a region that hasn't hasn't been seen in a positive way. And then, and that was the the kickoff of how to bring that conversation, but in a much more layered way. But also respecting digital and understanding that this audience was consuming media in a different way, and that. So we we create a whole world around the show. It's beyond the show. We have. Every se- season one, we had, like, 10-plus hours of extra content uh, around different issues, but pregnancy, teen pregnancy was a huge one. Did I answer your question?
3: I think so. Um, <laughs> um, well, let's get to abortion. So you did a lot of reproductive health yeah. kinds of storylines, and um, and I think you had two over the course of the four seasons and the, and the final movie, two storylines around abortion, right? Is that right?
4: Yeah, I... Th- I I need to go. Maybe more than two. Yeah, I think we had. I think that for us, it was. It's a. It's a very good question, Kate. Because I think that for us, it was really important to. Again, because we do stuff always from the systemic point of view, right? It's very important to talk about abortion, but it's important to talk about the systemic things related to abortion. And I think that season one was very special because it was the season that launched us to the world. But it was a season where we had a character that did an abortion, a character that didn't do the abortion, a character that kept the child and almost gave the child, right? And that character became the most important mm. protagonist four seasons later. So I think that, um, and we, had, and then there was an aunt who then revealed she did an abortion. That aunt was, like, super successful, was a reference to the to the... Nice. And uh, so we really came from different la- angles because also we wanted to show the the, the blueprint, right? We wanted to do the 30,000 feet and then the 30 feet and show the realities of the characters and all that. So and I think that, but it was amazing to see the reaction of the audience, to see the reaction of the critics, to see the reaction, of course, of the trolls. Because when the trolls start attacking you, we're just like, that's a good sign. <laughs> right? when, when the readers of the blaze are just like threatening you, that means that you hit a nerve. And I think that, um, I think it was very powerful because of that. And I think that for us, there is no, there's never malice. There is sometimes strategy, but not like, let's do an abortion episode and let's make it. So-. No, it's like, guys, this is happening. And these women are tired of people telling their stories and they are tired of people telling what they should be doing in their journey and not going to college and not making, you know, they want to have kids, but not now. And I think that, and I remember there was a character in season one, Sully, who was... Like super academically disciplined, and there is this player. This he was—he was just a nice guy who was pretending to be a player, and he's crazy for her. And then she's like, "Nope, I want to go to college." And but in a very like sassy, like mischievous way, talking about that, like, "Hey, you want to be with me and you love me, but like, just to let you know, we're gonna use condoms and and all that." So it, it, it was very interesting to. Go into, and again, high school is one of the most complex moments of our lives, right? I think so it's showing every, a
3: really empowered young woman who was like clear about what
4: she wanted, yeah, but also what? showing the complexities, the temptations, and also because I think that high school is, in my opinion, in Hollywood too, but I think in society in general, is one of the most neglected phase moments in society. I think we take high school for granted, it's when character is built it's when your biggest fears everything is uber dramatic everything is life and death so i think that we we're very lucky to to be on a, the right moment the right time and you know like we have an amazing cast but the fact that we chose to bring this i think both both like uh men and women but also we brought genre to a different conversation in high school but also it it, it is a female show it's much it's not only for women but it's much much more layered through the female empowerment and all that. So
3: um, so East Los High was on Hulu, Everwood's network show, WB, WB. Um, so I mean, do you think East Los High, did you guys even pitch East Los High to networks and do you think that those episodes or those storylines would have made it onto network? and vice versa i mean do you if you could re, if you could rewrite that everwood episode now do you think you could make any changes could it could it push the envelope any more now on the network or do you think it would still have to be kind of
2: I think that to me, in terms of like, what does it mean to push the envelope in these kinds of storytelling? Weirdly is, is sort of what you were saying. It's less about because with Everwood, unlike Greg's original pitch, which is there's an abortionist in a small town, maybe that you could pitch to Netflix and they'd still screw it up, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but, um, they, I think it would be more about doing it the way we talked about earlier. Crazy ex girlfriend did an abortion episode this year where it was just like, it just happened. It wasn't a very special episode. It was funny and other things were going on. And it turned out to be where the emotion of the story came. Wasn't that this, that Paula was crying and questioning her decision and sweating over it. It was about these two women who she didn't tell her best friend something big that had happened in her day. And it became a story point about these two characters. And so what would be amazing, I think the goal for all of it, network streaming, everything is to stop making it the one-off episode or like you said, the arc in where like, for what it's worth, I think Friday Night Lights back in the day did an incredible arc.
3: Yeah, but amazing.
2: It was amazing, but it it was Tammy paid for helping that girl get the abortion. You know, it there it's that arc that sort of gives you the drama, but the consequences are there. I think the next step is to be allowed for women to be talking about their lives and their birth control and their options as part because it's part of our daily life and that's it would be nice if it was just part of the conversation and didn't have to be so special and earnest or important I think. Do you think the networks have gotten that message yet? No. No.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Not yet.
3: (laughs) Do you think uh, East Los High could fly on a network? Um, Broadcast network?
4: I don't think so. I think that for many reasons I think that I think network television has very little respect for Latinos. I think that network television really doesn't understand Latinos yet. I think that, so that's a bigger, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, we need to be. Next
3: year's panel, okay. I I think
4: (laughs) that, I think that, like, it's, I think people need to humanize us. To then get the point, oh, you guys can have abortions too. I think it's uh, a, <laughs> I think we're still behind on on that. But I think that, but but the, the point is, I think that I don't know if everybody knows, but season one of this Los we did it ourselves, right? We shot twenty four half hour episodes because nobody wanted to do the show. We pitched the show everywhere, and 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 again, most of the people didn't want to pick the show because it was an all Latino show. Mm-hmm. The the greedy the greedy stuff was part of the process, but people just like, whoa, this is great. But like, this show should not be made because the market is not ready for Latinos speaking in English and being protagonists. So, um, but I think network television definitely not. Um, I think that, um, and I think that because we did the way we did, I think that um, because I think Hulu was a great partner to say like, wow, this is but we're streaming, so let's put it out there, it was the beginning of streaming. It was us, Orange and New Black, and House of Cards, like the first
2: fully streaming shows.
4: shows. And I think that that helped us too. I think that also, if Islos High was launching a network television, let's say someone said, wow, great, let's do it, the show would have died. I think that if we were released in a traditional way, just as a teen drama, probably the marketing was not going to be big because it was a Latino show. And um, so I think it was a good, like, a lot of serendipity and, you know, right place at the right time, the right people. There was a Latino executive, Hulu, who was crazy about it. it was an Asian-American executive who was his boss. His boss was like, wow, this is huge. So the, the, all those factors helped. But um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's uh, the, the network television thing and again, but then you have Shonda Rhimes, right? It's so like, yeah, I am going to put Olivia Pope going to a Planned Parenthood clinic with a special, special, a special agent, and she's going to do an abortion of the kid of the president. But then it's Shonda Rhimes, and I think that, <laughs> and I think that it's interesting that, uh, you, what you said, Rina, because uh, Greg Berlanti, Shonda Rhimes, um, what is the other guy from FX? Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy. Why these guys are making $200, $300 hundred million dollar deals? because they are reading culture and they are understanding that there is the French is not the French the people that belong to the French are not the French we are mainstream we're all a plural society so I think that um, and coincidentally most of them are very uh, very normal about the fact that guys stop controlling women (laughs) let them do whatever they want and I think that that's a and I think that that's the main thing, what I've been talking here, right? It's about controlling women. Abortion is just one of the facets that's of it. society's search for controlling women. I think it's... Yeah.
3: Well, um, so not to put every Latino in a box, but <laughs> a, a, a large percentage, I would say, of the Latino community in the US um, are Catholic or some kind of Christian. Yeah. Did you get backlash from the Latino community in the US about not only well certainly the abortion storylines but some of the other storylines as well?
4: I think we didn't have I think we didn't have backlash. I think that we again because we were very we were layered. Yeah. Right? We had the mother who was, you know, we 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 brought all the angles. We brought religion to the conversation, right? Yeah. I think that I think that we need to understand that I th- um, we had a, when we were having another panel about the power dynamics in Hollywood. We are making empathy machines. Someone mentioned empathy machines, and I think that if you good storytelling, you bring out the angles, mm-hmm. but not all the angles are like, oh, I need to do this episode for the blue collar. No, we need. Would you keep doing? That's why Roseanne happened. Just like we need to serve the. Blue collar audience, like really, have been serving the blue collar audience for a hundred years. So we really need one more show. So I think that it's about bringing those angles because the real water cooler conversation, you know, has to be also at the church. Has to be at you want that convers. There's there's so much culture happening in churches. If you're if you're ignoring that crowd, if you're not inserting their lives in their story, so we brought all those angles, religion, one of them. So I think that, and I think people are so relieved to see themselves, right? We had the hashtag, I grew up like this, when this was, I exploded all over the US, because it was like, whoa, I find am seeing myself. I'm seeing my mother, my grandmother, my father, my friends from school and all that. So we didn't have much uh, backlash. We had backlash more from people that had nothing to do with right. like that demographic, because they yeah. want to control us, too. So right. it's OK. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well. And Rena, other shows, mistresses, did you have an abortion <laughs> storyline on that? You I, I, have did By the way,
2: I kind of <laughs> can't believe that we didn't. Um, you didn't? We didn't. I, I'm literally, I'm going through. Shame,
4: on, I you. Did, sh- Shame I, on you. Shame on you.
2: No. Well, let me tell you. Where's, by the way, mistresses got no love at my panel yesterday, so I can't even, I don't, here's the thing well you've been on a lot of shows I've been so. on a lot of shows but mistresses was would have been a really perfect opportunity and actually I do remember because um we so there's this amazing woman Marissa Nightingale which is actually how we met many years ago she's and she's amazing like a lot of her what she does is sort of again it's very nonpartisan, partisan non-political and it's about just bringing the notion of, it's not even abortion, birth control, bringing the notion of birth control onto television and again, normalizing it and making it something that we see. So I remember she came into our writer's room early on and it did force us to write in stage directions that all these women would of course be taking birth control. They're mistresses and (laughs) they have a lot of... (laughs) You know, yeah, so we did, (laughs) (laughs) we did that. (laughs) I remember very much like we, once, once she came in and sort of put it to my attention, we made a point of showing, you know, our girls taking the pill and having condoms falling out of their bag and that that was just something that they were armed and protecting themselves. And when it came to, uh, we got to one storyline where there was one unplanned pregnancy that happened and the note, we did do, the character did say abortion was, Abortion was on the table. So I can only say we succeeded slightly in that it was brought up as one of the obvious options to her. But because of where the storyline was, it was very melodramatic. She kept the baby for all sorts of crazy reasons. and
4: (laughs) (laughs) Which which serves the narrative.
2: It served the narrative. It was a summer soap. I, I regret it maybe now because <laughs> it all we wound up having to have this baby around season four and we didn't want to deal with it so we we're like uh just put the just put a Bjorn on her just put a carrier over there <laughs> <laughs> wasn't great you guys show was great <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't totally accurate <laughs> so there was that that's how I yeah. raised my kids pretty yeah. much yeah exactly it down have <laughs> my coffee so no but I, I really because I was trying to go through it and I'm like is is Everwood the only show that I've ever, uh, actually where we had an abortion. And I, I am, I think it was, I mean, I was, I with privileged. It's funny we actually privileged won a Maggie Award from Planned Parenthood, um, which was incredible because I got to meet Hillary. Uh, So it was a very big day. But um, that was more because of the way that we were treating uh, sexual subject matter in teens, and sort of there was about a specific episode about the power position, and it was about like what the role that pornography even at that time was playing Mm. in young women's sex lives and the pressures that they were facing. It was that was 2006, wow. 2007.
4: Already talking about pornography oh and uh
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was DVDs though, not, not
4: <laughs> No, but, but it's yeah. amazing that. Yeah, and yeah, so that look was where we are now.
2: Exactly. So th- but we didn't we only got 18 episodes of that so so I couldn't get anyone pregnant in 18 episodes. It really <laughs> wasn't going to work out. <laughs> Next time. Um
3: well and so this is for both of you. I mean, is that do you think there are fewer abortion stories uh, because there are fewer women in the writers' rooms? So that I mean, I've spoken to, uh, I, I've started interviewing um, producers and writers, and I'll get to you guys later, um, just on this issue. And and a lot of the male writers, showrunners, executive producers that I've talked to have said something along the lines of. Well, I don't bring it up in the room because I feel like I'm not in a position to. It's a woman's story. That's so so I leave it to the women in the room, which, of course, maybe there's one, maybe there's none. But do you think that's – do you think – I, I mean, well, I know also uh, – I. I talked to Liz Flahive about GLOW at one point, and she said actually the abortion episode that they did was written by the one guy on their writer team. Really? <laughs> on their writer. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting, but I'm just curious. Do you think more women in the room? Why are men, f- you know, do men feel like I don't want to do I, it? It's not my geez, can area. Can I jump on that? Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah.
4: That story drives me, That what you just said, it drives me insane. Like I don't feel like, yeah, because women, the baby comes... It's God, right, that puts the baby in the belly. <laughs> so men have no... I don't know about you, but... <gasps> no, because, oh, because I, I think that it's... Uh, I, we discussed... Oh, uh, oh, it, oh. And it's, it's funny you mentioned Maurice Nightingale from Power to Decide. They used to be the national campaign campaign to end okay. teen pregnancy, and now it's called Power, Power to Decide. She and... um. Genie have been doing a great job. I think that we have a problem. I think one of the problems also is um, this was was super excited when the Fastwing invited me to come here. Is that like men are part of the whole thing, mm-hmm. part of the whole thing, and I think that it's not only about the writers. But I think that we have, uh, and I we have to reframe manhood in shows because it's 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 fifty percent of the problem. It's one of the things that...
3: I'd say it's probably more than 50%
4: of the problem. <laughs> no, no, no. I say 50% of the, the like, if... The
3: world's population.
4: I, I, mean, I mean, I'm mean, i being very pedestrian, Kate. I'm not even going that sophisticated. We are 50%. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happens many times is that... I, I, I like to tell a story about East Los High that was very powerful for us, where we were doing focus groups in, like, season one. Like, we shot on a shoestring, so we wanted to do everything as right as possible and we were picking actors to do we had two roles that we were testing and one was jacob who was like the super hot guy but nice guy good guy his father owned a taqueria like the 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 archetype and you had the other guy who was the baby daddy who was going to get sassy pregnant and who was just like he was a mess, right? And we were testing, and we had the, 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 the actors do both, and then we started doing the focus groups. I forgot the uh, with a lot of girls, and it was when the and they were like presenting the characters, right? And then when we did, the guy who was we thought was should we play Jacob doing the not so good guy, and the girls, the first thing they said, oh, I would definitely had a baby from that guy.
1: No oh, crap.
4: <laughs> and then no, no. But then we're just like, great. That means that he needs to be Jacob. He needs to be the good example. So he switched the actor to become the good example because it's so important to show that there are great guys that are good examples that are, you know. Because I think that, uh, and at the same time, we also did like I think season three we had we did a whole web content about all the hot guys in the show putting condoms on bananas, but in a very fun. Sexy way and saying like guys, we have to do this and then asking to the other guys to do it so I think that um It revolts me to hear that uh, Women's issues should only be written by women. It's revolting. Mm-hmm. It's like oh Bruce Miller shouldn't be writing the handmaid's tale right. But look the with the job that he's doing with his writers is like amazing. So I think that we I think that we we it's it's these dogmas that really push the the problems on on issues like that. So you I just wanted to bring that up. you think it's
3: a cop out from other writers to say male writers to say, oh, I leave that to the women in the room? What's the word you use? Do you think I it's a cop out? You think
2: it's just them saying, uh, I, I don't want to deal? You know? Honestly, I don't know if it's a cop out as much as it's to your point. A lot of times, they're not. It doesn't affect men in their minds Mm -hmm. in the same way and so either it's fear-based it's a little bit of apathy it's that it's not my problem So, so it's, and I, and I think that what I love about Islos high and, and every time you talk, I'm just so jazzed to hear that there are people like you out there because I think so often when people are making television and this festival is so great because everyone who comes here, you guys are so like how awesome that you love TV and, and really like appreciate it and, and see what we're trying to do. And I think the idea is this notion, what what you did and all that research and all that time you took, that's because you care and you love it. And it wasn't like you were trying to get your message out there. It was, you care about what you're doing and you care about the audiences that you're reaching. And I think so, I think more than people who are a cop out, everyone is so afraid to be earnest or afraid to be like preachy or teachy and, you know, <laughs> There's so many things and they'd rather be salacious wow, you're and they'd really rather sh- they, I'm wow. really controlling myself. You are. <laughs> I'm trying so wow. I'm doing that was impressive. It's gonna be great. <laughs> but they're trying to shock you into watching their shows, and there aren't as many people who are actually who are enjoying the challenge of showing educating, and it's an opportunity that we have it's not a responsibility that we have especially when you're writing shows for young people you don't have to think of it as like this burden on your shoulders where oh now i have to teach them about birth control it's like no you (laughs) get to you get to help mold you get more time with children than we as parents get with our children than teachers
4: than parents then you're totally right it's
2: just an amazing chance and every time you waste it or you blow it, or you go the other way and aggressively screw kids over and message them terribly for no reason except that you want the ratings, you know, shame on you. (laughs) That's
5: what I say. Wow.
2: (laughs) Not
3: to name names. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm going to get a little bit granular. Um, So I said, and I'm also going to, not me take credit, but um, mention Norman Lear again. So um, the episode Maud, uh, by Norman Lear, uh, w- uh, the episode, the show Maud, <laughs> did an episode around abortion where Maud gets an abortion, and she's already—I think she's in her fifties. Her daughter's grown. She—it's an accidental pregnancy. She decides, and this show was 1980, I think, or 1979. Seventy something. Yeah, and um, yeah. I mean, uh, how many years ago is that? I can't believe we're still talking about this, um, but. She was really representative of, as I said, most women that get abortions today are parents. They already have, they've, they're either in the process of raising their kids or they've already raised their kids. And do you think that to depict that on television that, I mean, the the crazy ex-girlfriend episode we talked about was, you know, really genius because she's a parent already but, you know, this was an accidental pregnancy and she needed to handle it. Um, but do you think there's like a squeamishness of, oh, we can't show a woman who's raising children also have an abortion? Do you think there's like that sort of, I don't know, I'm getting granular I, about sort of the psychology behind it all, but I'm just curious. I, I want to go on. Go I think on. there
2: is. I mean, and again, I sort of I used this example once and it's certainly not in an effort to slam the show at all, but it was something that I noticed when in the first season of This Is Us, when the parents found themselves with an unwanted and an unplanned pregnancy. I really was surprised that the concept of an abortion never was brought up in the episode and again because based on the way that they had shown me who those characters were at the beginning of the year they didn't seem to be led in any religious way it, it it felt the show if anything was is a really like sophisticated drama and it's exploring a lot of issues and i was like wow what a what a bizarrely missed opportunity not that i wanted them to get an abortion i just thought those two people in reality absolutely would have talked about it and so it did so to your point and that is a fantastic show talking about really great things, but it, it was one of those things where I do wonder, if that was a woman's show, would that scene on the floor of the hotel room been different? And I, maybe. And, but by the way, there are plenty of women in that writer's room, but I, I think that show and the way, the the space that it's taking up on that network and the way the network is really enjoying the ratings and the messaging and it is sort of has this earnest and i think people go "Ooh, well if we're if we're going to talk about it then it's going to get so serious and it's pr- i bet the, having no clue i make this clear having no clue i bet the conversation was it's probably easier if we don't bring it up which felt false
4: to me what was the couple which what was it
2: um uh randall sterling k brown and his wife
4: really yeah that
2: couple that couple it was cuckoo
4: <laughs> wow! Yeah, because it's like they would have the conversation.
2: They would have the conversation. It was the same thing. They had kids. Everybody has. She the was in. She's a professional. No, no, but They're they
4: would. And that character—he's an overthinker. He would yes, discuss right, exactly. all the scenarios
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because true. he's the
4: most anal person in television. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> I yeah. mean,
3: anybody who has an unplanned pregnancy no, is no, going to I- think about. That's going to be part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah but I
4: think yeah. I'm saying that just more like in a writing perspective. It's like that's part of the character. character. It's yeah. his ethos. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that I think it's 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 such an important question, Kate, because I think that I think people I think that I think that Maud is a great example because like people don't want to have the conversation because also they don't want fifty plus women to have pleasure or to mm-hmm. even they met the Thinking that they go to bed with to have you know, so it's there's that even societal thing. So I think that for me, it's always like that's why I love we're talking about uh, Frank and Grace, it's just like they go there, yeah, they're like, yeah,
3: Grace and Frankie, holding
4: yeah. dildos and just like <laughs> talking about dildos and arthritis, and just like, yes. And I think that so, I think that that's uh, I think that it's um, again, we get back to control, we, we get back to. Male gaze, female gaze and how Hollywood c- tries to control that kind of narrative around the body of the woman. So
3: Okay. Well um I think we'll open it up for some questions from the audience if anybody has one. Um otherwise we'll we'll keep going. But yeah, sure. I don't know if there's a, mic there's somewhere a microphone. Or, oh, right behind you. <gasps>
5: Oh my! God. Okay. You have to do yoga to get it. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you. I think this has been one of my favorite events I've been to this whole festival, and it's really great to hear you guys thank talk you. about stuff. So thank you.
3: Thank
4: you.
5: Um, going off of. You know, what you guys were talking about before, I think we're in this weird, unique time with TV and movies where it's like the first time in and the past few years where something can come out and within half an hour, there's, you know, 25 million articles tearing it apart and saying like, here are all the things wrong with blah, blah, blah. And it's like a listicle a clickbait, you know, type thing. And I'm wondering if you think that the pervasiveness of the internet and social media and everything is part of why people are maybe scared to go places that they... Should go because there's this whole question of agency and who who's allowed to tell what stories and the idea of can men tell women's stories, etc. And you know, I totally agree with you that the idea it's such a cop out to say that. Well, you know, I could never get an abortion, so I can't write about one. Do you think that that's partially because there we're in this internet age where everyone's getting yelled at for making things that they're not entitled to make?
2: I think right now, specifically. Yes. I I think it's, we're in an incredible moment in time where shit is just exploding and it is, I never want to be the one to say it's hard to be a dude. It's, it's a little hard to be a dude right now because you, you can't win. Like you're lovely to give Bruce Miller his props and I couldn't agree with you more. There are all those articles that say no. No Bruce Miller. Why is Bruce Miller the one? Why did he get that job? Da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, that's not not the conversation we should be having. I mean, because the social media and your, I couldn't agree more, like the 40 articles that come out after one thing happens, you're over it before you've even processed it yourself. And there is definite fear in, so is it a cop-out or are people just like, if I don't say anything, I can't get in trouble. If I don't do anything... If I don't mention it, maybe no one will call it out. And it it's the internet is a bummer, man. I mean, it is it is really it has kind of changed television in so many ways and and in in some ways it's created opportunities for conversation which is fantastic, but it, it it's definitely especially because for what it's worth, it's also inflated when it needs to be. So executives will often cite it as a reason. Well, we got all these Twitter comments and so we can't be doing that anymore. But then it's also doesn't really affect the ratings as much as you want to say at all. It's like, so we, I think we haven't figured it out, but I do think I'm not sad that Time's Up is happening and that Me Too is happening and that we're having an aware and that we're talking about, you know, consent. That's the biggest one that is, is this little minor slice of it, but, and whether or not Aziz Ansari deserved to be on the receiving end of, of the backlash. It certainly was great in that it started a conversation exactly like you said about female pleasure and what's our role in sex and just enjoying it for the sake of enjoying it. But it's hard. And so there, there does need to be, I think it's when you read, I love reading sort of the younger, Perspective a little bit because I feel like, as you said, that 20 somethings are super passionate. <laughs> I vaguely remember being a 20 something. And so there is all this energy and enthusiasm and anger and rage and rah. But you want to like hope that the ones that I tend to follow and keep reading their articles are the ones who sort of maybe took a beat and didn't write it five seconds after it happens but waited. 24 hours after it happened, so that they can really process the whole thing and decide how bad was it? What was the. And I. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah,
4: Yeah, I think that um, I'm really disappointed what's happening with the internet nowadays. I left Twitter two months ago. I left Facebook two years ago because it became extremely toxic. It just became if I need to research and see stuff, I go, but like, not research from like Google, where is the restaurant, but like research stuff. (laughs) For my for the work that I do, and I you think, call
3: Hollywood Health and Society.
4: Right? Yeah, we work with you guys, and uh, I think that for us, it's really like uh, I think I think again, Hollywood is just very lazy. I think that it's it's regarding laziness. it's just like, oh no, there are 12 tweets saying that, like really? And by the way, motherfucker, that half of them are probably <laughs> troll uh, are bots. Yeah. They're bots. So I think that we are we can't help we can be held hostages because of that, but I think you're totally right. There is a dynamic of this like approval from the the mob which is like or the mob is gonna go after you and I think that it's uh it's very tricky we should be this should be the renaissance of the, of storytelling and right now we're we're held hostages if oh my goodness, I can't do that and let's not forget I think the one thing that we don't put a lot into the conversation is like advertisers the yes. advertisers the ad- advertisers are a lot most of them are to blame because they feed the system they're feeding the system a lot and i think that you you mentioned clickbait everybody's looking for eyeballs because of the advertisers like up fronts every year just like really guys these are the shows getting picked mm-hmm. and it's because the adver- so it's a, it's a bubble and it's a bubble of mostly guys that think that they know what the audience wants. So I think that I think we're in a moment, I, I agree with you about Time's Up and Me Too. I think that it's a moment of reckoning. It's just starting because we have very little accountability. Nobody has been arrested yet. So for me, I'm very cynical about Everybody, uh, what, I, I want to see people getting arrested. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, because that's. you' the was true. really hoping
2: to get a rumble going today. You guys have all been so tame. We were like, we were like gunning. No,
4: no, <laughs> it's, just, it's just because I think I'm, I'm giving an example. I think that it's uh, it's just because like we are into this. Oh, we have all these concentric bubbles, right? And I think that we have a problem of the, the, right now. The media ecosystem is completely flawed. It's completely flawed. Like. How many times you pitched the show, or that show got picked or canceled because of the whole 18 to 49, oh, okay. which is like really, guys, people 18 year. I've never seen very rare shows that an 18 year old and a 49 year old like.
2: Yeah, never <laughs> understood that
4: demographic. But we still do the shows. 18 to 49 are gonna love this. Yeah. No, they're not gonna. They don't. Right, and I think that also there is we have all these these fallacies and also these these lies, which is like and. Kudos to Twitter, just like Twitter doesn't affect ratings at all, guys. Twitter doesn't affect ratings at all. Facebook doesn't affect ratings at all. It's all a machine to put money and then, you know, like you can buy followers. So I think yeah. that it's uh but it's tricky. I think that we we are holding ourselves hostages of the whole situation and there. we need to change. So sorry, I saw Another?
2: someone raise their oh. hand back there, but go ahead.
4: Can you come to the, I'm sorry, just, I think they're recording. It's the producing side of me, just like.
1: (laughs) You do ADR later.
5: (laughs) Ignore the fact that I
6: have a volunteer shirt on. Um, I wanted to ask, um, what levers um, of change do you have beyond the writer's room to change networks' perceptions about the realities and experiences of women?
2: Beyond the writer's room, did you say? Mm
6: Mm-hmm. I would say,
3: I'll, and for all three of you, I would suggest uh, more women executives, you know, more women at the networks and at the studios that are also, you know, we were talking in the green room earlier about the WB network and how, uh, you know, Everwood, Felicity, you know, those shows were pretty groundbreaking for that time. And, Suzanne Daniels was the president of the network at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, so, uh, I mean, that's one of my, uh, in addition to the writer's room, that would be another thought that I would have about that.
2: And, I mean, I'm not sure if this, but casting, I think, is also, when you look back at a lot of the show, because I was having this conversation about, you know, like the days of Aaron Spelling, and you, you can't watch an Aaron Spelling show anymore without going, like, holy crap, it is all... White people. All white people. (laughs) And the one tragic black character who's, so yeah, exactly. So I think the one thing we can do is, as you said, it's just sort of just try to have as much diversity in every possible way represented on screen. And you know, writer's rooms are, there's a lot of heat right now, and again, in a good way. But writer's rooms have gotten smaller and smaller it's harder and harder to get in them it's harder there are so many there are so many pieces of the writers room where at, like the show that i was just about to do we were going to maybe have six writers so that's we're never going to get it's a t- it's not great but when you're casting a show and when you're putting something on air it's just sort of think bigger and go broader and re- reflect the world that we live in
4: yeah i think that um, we get i think that we're all it's all about the ecosystem Right, The ecosystem has a lot of layers and society is plural. The executive needs to be plural. The casting needs to be plural. The the writing, everything needs to be. I remember it was very funny and sad to see outsiders coming to the set of Visos High and you could see they're shocked because they've never seen so many people of color in power positions in their lives. They had never seen a an African American female DP. I remember a guy coming and he, he was he was trying to say that to me. He was just like <gasps> and he's a he was a <laughs> and he was a woke guy. He was one of those woke guys. <laughs> and he was just like, and he was trying to make it sound like a a compliment, but it was so exotic for him. But again, it was a good thing because that really changed his perspective. And I said, I think that. I think that it's the ecosystem, right? Because I think that, and Suzanne Daniels is a pioneer, the same way you having a position of power in a writer's room, I think that, and again, guys, it makes money. It's, let's forget about philo- philosophically and romantically idealistic. It makes money. If you make shows that represent society more, people will watch more. And they will buy the fucking action figure. <laughs> But, like, it's just like, "Oh, everybody's so surprised with Black Panther, Really?" Yeah. Like yeah. Really? So I think that it's for me, it's about like, just guys just read the census go in the census and make decisions based on the census it's
2: and that is also like the audience like it's up on uh, you go like there's i know there was a panel or i think there was a panel the woman who just created vita and let's all watch that show yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know like it's finding you know i michelle wolf i'd never heard of her until know, three weeks ago i'm now i'm watching the break. I don't love it yet, but I'm gonna keep watching it because it's yeah. like put your money where your mouth. It get you it have is. you have the responsibility is on us to support the shows that are. That's how that's yeah. how they make money.
4: Yeah, totally agree. More questions. Hi. I, I love how the festival makes you guys on your knees. <laughs>
2: I, know. <laughs> I know
3: it's like. <laughs> like <laughs> I guess. They're her, Oh yeah, it's his fault. Sorry. <laughs> um,
4: her body, her choice. On your we'll knees on the microphone. <laughs>
3: Two, sorry, I just. We'll do two more questions and then we'll probably okay. have to wrap it up. So. There is a protester around the corner if you really want to start a fight. There's what? There's, a, there's protest. a protester right around the corner.
4: Oh, really? The troll that we were like pro-life against. protester. The robot guy.
3: Ah, uh, he's got a, He's. I'm pro-life. Changed my mind. He's got the table just like the meme. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway, that's not my question. Um, <laughs> my question is, I actually had not until you mentioned it had not really thought about the male perspective of abortion, and so. So I want to know how you would take that, put that into a story. Like, what, what's your dream scenario where you would like to see the male perspective of the baby daddy and what he thinks?
4: Well, there are, I think there are like 35 answers to the question. <laughs> I think it's not that hard. The truth is, it's not that hard.
2: Girls did it I think and again I I, I, I remember oh, yeah, wishing that I loved that episode more to be honest but I another yeah. it was another one where I, I
4: have I, problems I, with girls but I
2: have problems with girls <laughs> but I and I, I didn't watch the whole series but I I heard about that episode and I came back for it and as per usual Adam driver was sort of the the most interesting thing about the episode and i think it was his reaction and they they included him in it and his per- and you maybe wanted to punch him in the face but it was a good it was a good story that included the male perspective in abortion and i think it's doing yeah. more stuff like that w- would be helpful
4: yeah and that and that happens i think that that's uh i know re- i remember that the episode and he was great yeah yeah he really delivered i think that Again, it's not that hard. The truth is, it's right. not that hard. It's about, I always say, like you, it's impossible that a writer, a producer, a TV executive doesn't know a guy who had his wife or his girlfriend had an abortion mm-hmm. or kept the child and they had the conversation. Or, and again, I think that that's why we work with Hollywood Has a Society. We have an advisory board because we go and interview people. We go and talk to people. There are in the trenches of the, the cause of reproductive health. It's like, hey, what are the twenty five situations that happen? Because you because it's every, everything counts. It's from the clothes that the woman is wearing in the clinic has to be real. But from the, like, yeah. what is the kind of dialogue that's gonna happen? And I think that um and I think that yeah, it's uh, it for me it may be obvious, but it's just like it's not that hard. And again. It, because we overthink it, right? I think that we have this overthinking thing because it sucks. It's always like the fucking Quakers, they put us into this. It's always like, it's, it is. It, it's so annoying. It's, you know, and I think, but again, but we can talk about guns. We, don't, we talk about blowing heads all the time. We explode. Well, let's, let's do a research. Let's compare ex- heads exploding in mass shootings in high schools. And abortions, conversations. Yeah. Not even abortions happening. So, like, yeah, but let's talk about because it's we go darker on abortion, but there are other dark stuff happening, and they're, they're happening all the time as if it's like Skittles, as if you're eating Skittles. Look, mm-hmm. another mass shooting here on this show. Mm-hmm. or But uh, no, let's not talk about abortion. Mm-hmm. So,
6: Thank you. Okay, last question. See how I'm actually going to. Yes. I choose to stand. Your body, your, your choice. Yes. Own your space. um I am 18. Mom. I was 18. Mom. I was 18 when I got pregnant. I had my daughter month after 19. I now have a VP after my name. I own my house, and wow, I mentor young women who are teen moms in prevention of re-entering motherhood so young. We teach them how to budget, we teach them the realities, but most importantly, we teach them that their life isn't over because they had a baby. That's amazing. And I think that with the um, discussion of abortion, what I've heard and, and what they've kind of asked me to come here and plead for people to say is that if you choose an abortion after becoming a mother, there's a stigma that you never loved the children that you had. That gets back to my squeamish question. And so how can you do that to your child and you have one here? You must not, you must love that one as equal or as less to, to do that. And so I think what we also need to do is change the narrative on abortion, but on teen pregnancy and that there is a way to still make a life and a happy life and a good life and you're not a mistake. Yeah. you're 100%. not defined by your mistakes so um, they would really appreciate it if you could get stories out like that and so would I um, but I, I, I do want to say my girls come to me and they talk about East Los High thank all you. the time and, and how it's changing not just the narrative in their house but amongst themselves and mm-hmm. how that makes them feel about themselves and so thank, thank you, you so very much. much
4: and thank you for doing your work it's amazing yeah. <laughs> thank you Um can I jump in? It's an excellent question, because I think that that's why, in the, since the inception of Islos High, we came with that angle. And like Sassy, who is, Sassy is the girl who decides to keep the daughter. And we remember this, the moment where there's like, maybe she's going to give her for adoption, and then she keeps it. She's the most loved character of Islos High now. She was like the beachy sidekick. She gets pregnant. And now she's a kick-ass coach, and she's like kissing Prince Rice, and you, know, you know, like, and she's going to, and she's doing gigs in Vegas as a dancer. She wants to be a huge choreographer because I think it is important. That's why I think that it, it's it, it's the whole cycle, again, the whole systemic conversation. That's why I think your question is so important because it's having an abortion, not having an abortion, is having just one child, is having one child, and go back to the market to work. I think that it's, uh, and again, we get back to the, I'm being extremely repetitive, but like it's about let me do whatever I want to do with my fucking body or my career or with my family and all that. And I think that I agree with you, but uh, we remember doing research that that came up the whole like, oh, you loved one more than the other. Imagine, but, but again, it's the overthinking thing, but it's something like guilt, right? It's the... The whole guilt trigger, and I think that I think Hollywood needs to do a better job when that narrative happens. So because it is the the Scarlet Letter, it is it becomes that stamp in the back of the woman, who which is like oh she kept one, you want her to keep it, and then when she decided not to keep it, so it, it, you change the poster girl like yeah. she was great because she kept it. Oh no, but now she didn't keep it, and then you destroy the woman. And I think Hollywood does that too a lot. So I'm glad you brought it up.
3: Uh, I did a panel similar to this a, a few months ago, and um, one of the panelists said something about, you know, abortion is actually kind of boring, especially now there's medical abortion. You know, you you just take a couple of pills and, you know, it's not like this. Huge, the abortion part is kind of boring. The barriers to accessing abortion is where the drama is, you know, and there are certain states that will go unnamed right now, um, (laughs) that, you know, women have to travel hundreds of miles and spend the night because it's a 48 hour waiting period and pay, you know, and, and who can do that? You know, so the drama sometimes is really more in the getting the access than it is the actual, you know, angst of having the abortion. I just wanted to throw that in. I think we have to wrap up. I'm going to do one last plug. We at Hollywood Health and Society just created a, a animated video, which we just launched. So go to, you can go to our Facebook page. It's called Why Abortion on TV Needs More Choices. And uh, it's an animated piece that features Lucy DeVito and Dr. Willie Parker and produced by the the production company Life Noggin, who also has a YouTube channel. But it's a really cute little animated video that talks a lot about the the research and the statistics that I gave at the beginning of this. So please go share it, you know, comment, whatever. And let's give a big round of applause (laughs) to our panelists. And I like Mauricio. He was pointing with his, you know, hold on.
4: Thank you so much for choosing us over the Americans.
1: Thank you for joining us around the TV campfire. Stay tuned each Thursday for live releases from the festival. In addition to bonus content and exclusive interviews and new original series coming soon. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at ATXFestival
0: and let us know what you think using our official hashtag, hashtag the TV Campfire. Please rate and subscribe to the TV Campfire on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Season 8 of ATX Festival will be June 6th through 9th, 2018. And for more information on attending, please visit
3: www.atxfestival.com.